This is Anthony Pascal. And this is Lori Elster. And this is the All Access Star Trek podcast. Today we're going to be reviewing the penultimate episode of season two of Star Trek Picard called Hide and Seek. But we're going to start with some news because Strange New Worlds is coming. It's coming fast. And there are still interviews to talk about from the junket that you did, Tony. Last week, we had just put up the Rebecca Romaine. Yep. So the rest of them are up now, which is basically everyone else. And (laughs) what I get a sense from everyone in the cast is that they take this very seriously, but they're also having fun with it and they all get what it is. um, And they are embracing the episodic nature of this thing. Different people are taking a different approach to their characters, though. I think Anson, but we saw this already with Discovery. He's like, I'm not doing Jeffrey Hunter because there's barely any Jeffrey Hunter. You know, It's like, I'm doing Anson Mount, Captain Pike. And I think we're fine with that, right? Yeah, no, he called it Second Act Pike. And he wants to be the Pike sort of after he's resolved that crisis, the Jeffrey Hunter Pike crisis <laughs> of wondering what he's doing there and feeling good about where he is. Well, but he's also got to go through this other crisis, yes, which he talked about in the interview, this existential crisis over his own fate. And right. so that's kind of the first thing. And we're going to be seeing that in some of the early episodes of the season. That's kind of his initial arc is dealing with that. And how it affects not just him as a person facing his own death, but as a captain who has to make decisions. He's such a super fan you know, he talks about the original series, you know, he wants, he says, you know, he wants to reinvigorate the sense of excitement that people got with the original series, this idea of going to a new planet every week, you know, and he says, like, like when you tune in every week, he's like, you know, what planet are they at this week? And that's what he wants people to feel like when they, to, you know, he said tune in when they stream on, <laughs> click on the show, Right. Uh, that every week is its own thing like oh what do you got for me this week and that's you know what the audience is really hyped for i thought it was interesting he talked about did you ask the political question yes of course i figured you did of course you did um and so what he says is very interesting he says i don't think it's our job to have a point of view i think it's our job to raise questions and he talks about how you use a tv show sort of as a platform to discuss to discuss what's going on but not to preach he says you don't have a discussion if you're preaching So the best thing we can do is raise questions, look at things in a new facet, shedding a different light on it. So that'll be an interesting thing to see if they pull off. Well, if you think back to the original series, they weren't always subtle with their politics. I mean, you you know, let this be your last battlefield was not subtle at all. I think it had a point of view, right? Racism is bad, which at the time was perhaps controversial. Well, here's what I would say they did where they did take it to the next level with the whole painted face thing. The point of it was, honestly, that nobody else could see the difference. So it wasn't just racism is bad. It was like racism is is meaningless and stupid. Right. And and a construct, which is a a bigger thing. I mean, look, not that it was not claiming it was subtle, but. It was it was a way of making the point without just having here's one race and they hate like here are two races we can't tell the difference between and didn't even notice. I mean, as a kid, I didn't notice Yeah. until they said it. Yeah, this will be a challenge for this show to find a way to present issues without being preachy. Let's talk a little bit about Ethan Peck. He sounds like he is feeling both the excitement and the burden of this character. Yeah. And it's, it's like, he's changed. He's had a a growth since his time on discovery. And he's, he's had this like personal introspection and he, he's talked about how his life has changed now, how Spock has totally changed his life. And he hears Leonard Nimoy's voice in his head. And I mean, I think this, this kid is just not kid. I say kid, but I mean, he's just, he's deep into this in a big way and he he's taking it super seriously it's not that he wants to be 100 percent nimoy in fact he talks about how there are elements that they get to explore that they didn't explore on the original series but right he's very much taking that aspect of the character and that voice very very seriously 
Which it's interesting because, you know, Leonard Nimoy was very, had the same reaction to playing the character. He didn't have someone else's legacy to worry about, but he took it very seriously and would get into this mode where he shut off emotion so that he could play the character and he always thought about him so deeply and Ethan Peck is trying to do that deal with new Spock factors as well as this legacy and this character that he knows matters to people so I mean I think people will be happy to hear that it's that important to him but it doesn't sound like a lot of fun no it sounds that he's that sounds stressful to me another aspect of this is of course that Spock is on his own arc towards the Nimoy Spock, because we're still somewhat ahead of that. And they are spending the time and effort to kind of ensure that the character is evolving and changing each season. They're now in season two. They're almost finished. I think Frakes is up there now shooting episode seven. And he definitely talked about how that's like a really big deal. And it's really, he can't do it alone. He's they're, they're working with the writers and everyone to kind of make sure that's there. And we hear a lot of people talking about Henry Alonzo Myers. It's a name we haven't talked a lot about on this podcast, but he's the co-showrunner of this with Akiva Goldsman. I think he's another person that we could lump in there with Mike McMahon and Aaron and Terry Metalis. Um, Aaron Watke from Prodigy of just these kind of nerdy showrunners who love the franchise, love Star Trek, watched it when they were young and are doing everything they can to make this work. I hope so, because this character is is a tough one, especially. But it could be a very interesting journey to see how he gets from the Spock we met on Discovery and this Spock to the one that we know. I would say, you know, we you know we can talk a little bit about how you and I have seen, you know, from the little we've seen, you can already sense the difference between Disco Spock and Strange New World Spock. Right. And a big difference between Strange New World Spock and original series Spock. Yeah. So I'm nervous about that journey, but looking forward to it. Now, speaking of characters that are different, um, the <laughs> so I, they had a tag team interview with the two medical professionals, which is Jess Bush. And Babs Olusamunkin, who plays Mabenga, no first name, Dr. Mabenga, he had a, a, a kind of a nonchalant approach where you know, people ask him, are you, there's really only two episodes, right? And, and people ask him, are you studying all the Star Trek doctors? And he said, yeah, you know, I watched some Star Trek. I watched some original series and I get it. And then I, and then I put it behind me and I'm, you know, I'm doing what they wrote. And so he is not doing what Ethan Peck is doing. He's not, a, he doesn't have these voices in his head as he's there on set. He's just the two episodes that Mabenga <laughs> is in. Yeah. Exactly. I mean, he was a very memorable character and the character that Babs is playing is very, is totally different, but it's, it's fine. Like it was two episodes. We didn't really get into his life in any way. So I don't really have a big issue with that. You know, he talks about how there's a lot of him in the character. The character kind of has a big heart. Um, he's a, he's an emotional uh, doctor, I think, is what he's kind of getting across. And a little quirky, perhaps. The other character that is definitely different, but is also a classic, is Jess's character, Christine Chapel. And we talked about how she's very different. And she kind of got frank. She's like, well... There wasn't, there was some there, but so much of Chapel was based on who she was pining for, which is Spock, of course. And she said, there's so much more to this character than that. Oh, yeah. I would say just having seen what I've seen, that it's a totally different character, which is, you wouldn't want someone, I mean, there were great things about Chapel in the original series, but also she was you know, somewhat like she was sort of subservient by nature in a lot of the episodes that she was in. Jess did say she takes away from Majel's performance the candor, the humor, and the wit of that chapel. Right, which was there for sure, too. So that's that's good. I mean, this one is very different. I like her. I, I don't really connect it to the character that much when I'm watching, but we'll talk about that when we are talking about the show in more detail. But her performance... I think is great. 
And she said that they're giving her, you know, the writers and the producers are giving her license to explore the character. They're, they're not being rigid and saying you've got to, I think they're doing that more with Spock, right? They're yeah, kinda, they have to. But with Chapel, they're like, you know, have a little fun with it. And the other thing we know about these two characters together, Mabenga and Chapel, is that they have a history that, that predates um, their time on the Enterprise or their time on the Enterprise where we are seeing them. They've been on some adventures together. They have a rapport. And I think we're going to see a little bit of their sort of backstory or at least find more, find out more about their history together. And I think that's good because they definitely have a chemistry for yeah. sure. So a little bit like they're not entirely like the original series. Strange New Worlds starts off where this is a crew that know each other. It's kind of mid journey, as it were, even though. It starts where they're relaunching the ship again because of um, the damage it took in the battle with control, right? So it's whatever, months later, a year later. I don't know what it is. Enough time for Anson to grow a really nice beard. <laughs> exactly. It is it's it is as long as that beard is, is how long <laughs> it's been. So, you know, do, <laughs> but I think most of the people on board were presumably on board during the battle and before the battle, and they know each other, and that there are there are a variety of relationships. I think the new, the new character is um, Uhura, which we could talk about now, which is Sully Rose Gooding. She came in to play Uhura. I did an interview, so she was asked about the original performance of this, and this will make everyone feel so very old. <laughs> so, because she starts talking about how her mother took her to see the movies, and then I'm going the movies in the 80s and then i realized like she was talking about the new movies when she was a little girl she went to go see zoe saldana play her and she talked about how much she loved that and would run up to the screen and would look up to uhura and how important it was to her and what a powerful strong vibrant intelligent woman she portrayed and and uh she was nine years old at the time so <laughs> So go. was I. <laughs> <laughs> but she has researched the original series and Nichelle's performance and talks about how elegant Nichelle was and how she's trying to bring all of those aspects to her very young Hura, who kind of doesn't know how smart she is yet and isn't sure of herself yet as as those two women were. She's in a great spot in a way because she's playing a character that people love. And so she has a, enough of a guideline to know where she wants to go. But such a greatly underdeveloped character that she also has a lot of room to play. And and it's I can't see a lot of reasons that, you know, with a show like this, there's always, you know, waiting for, pe- for the fans to protest and jump down someone's throat. And I feel like she has a lot more room. We haven't mentioned this, but it was mentioned in one of the uh, other interviews. She does sing on the show, just like Ahura sings. And, of course, Celia's a Broadway performer herself. Yeah. Tony winning, I think. Or if not winning, then nominated. And she has this wonderful scene with Ethan Peck where they have to match each other. And he talks about how he basically just followed behind her. Like, he, 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 has, he said he's not tone deaf, but she's the one who really is in charge when it comes to the singing. Yeah, she's a real singer. It's you know, it's great that all of these Star Trek shows always cast singers. There's a, every show has one on it, at least one. You know, because yet you, you have like Issa Brionis on Picard, right? And you've got mm-hmm. Anthony Rapp. Well, Alison Pell on Picard too. A lot of actors sing, but there's a difference between can sing and has performed on Broadway in a musical. I mean, there's right, like, but I mean, can really sing. I mean, like yeah. can belt. So, I mean, yeah, she's she was hired to sing. I think it's great that all the Star Trek shows have at least one real singer, if not more. I would assume they're breaking into song on that set, just like they do it on all the others. Especially when Frakes is around. Exactly. <laughs> Even when we worked with him on After Trek, there was singing, let me tell you. <laughs> one of the most interesting new cast members is Melissa Navia, who plays Ortegas. She's just crazy. I mean, she is so into this. I don't feel like she knew a lot about Star Trek before this, but now she knows everything. And 
including how her panel works, like every control on that panel. She wants to have a system and know what it works and make it make sense, which I love. Apparently, like she will have a scene and there's nothing happening on her panel, which are all functional LCDs. And she will ask the graphics department to make something to match the scene. And they're like, but no one's going to see it. And she's like, but I'm going to see it. Like, that's how I, it's, I think she's getting a little method. She said how there's been moments where she's missed lines because she's concentrating so much on flying the ship. Doing her job, <laughs> her other job, which isn't acting, but flying the ship. I love it. I love the character. And uh, it's, I, this is great. She's a great addition to the Star Trek world. This yeah. yeah. She's she's very dorky but funny and I wouldn't say is she the comic relief? I'm not sure. I mean she's she definitely cracks jokes. Yeah, say. I don't think she's the comic relief. I think she's the commentary provider. Yeah, she's certainly for fans I think, you know, or, or even non-fans is a kind of a gateway in for mm-hmm. sure. Now Christina Chong didn't talk a lot in the interview because it was it was not long enough. So we didn't get a lot from her. She did talk about, of course, that Lon Noonien Singh has been through some things. And we already kind of knew that, right? That she's had a terrible childhood. Every time you say that, I go, you think? (laughs) (laughs) But it's more than just her ancestry. Yes. She actually, yeah, there is a terrible backstory, which you guys will all find out about. This character is going to go through some struggles and has, she's the most tragic backstory of them all. Pike has a tragic upstory. Yes. And other characters do have tragic backstories, but hers, I think hers wins. Spock has some issues, uh, you know, Spock had a terrible childhood. His sister just disappeared for, for the future. He doesn't talk about his half brother. His dad's a total jerk to him. The only thing he's got going for him is his mom loves him, right? I love her too. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, so. but it's not the same as like this tragedy that Laan has. But she's also, I think, going to be a really strong character. And what I like about all of them is they're all very different from each other. Yes. They've created distinctive characters. Even when they're using a character from the past, they are making sure that these legacy characters all fit into different slots well, which is important for an ensemble. I'm curious as to see which characters end up popping. Bruce Horak, who plays Hammer, wasn't part of this. I don't know why, because he's someone I definitely want to talk about, but I think he's going to pop for a lot of people because he's he's definitely a fun character. Oh, yeah. So that's it for these interviews. I mean, and, and, and the interviews aren't going to stop. Those were my interviews. Now, Lori, you're going to do a whole bunch of interviews uh, soon after this podcast drops. So in our next podcast, we'll be talking about your interviews. Yeah, it'll be a little crazy, red carpet, hectic, loud, excitement stuff. <laughs> but I will, I will get what I can and hopefully something from the showrunners. No behind-the-scenes people have been part of this latest thing. We are trying to get some of those outside, of, you know, the a red carpet or even a junket to have a real sit-down with them. So hopefully we will have some more post-mortem stuff after um, the series premiere with one of the writers or a producer. Yeah, and really, I hope you get to interview uh, Henry Lonzo Myers because that is one I would like to read. Um, also on the site, there are a whole bunch of new PR pictures, you know, all these hero poses with all the cast and some promos uh, for the show, some of which are pretty trippy and fun. Definitely emphasizing the Strange New Worlds theme of Strange New Worlds. I mean, the amount of promotion they're doing for the show last week we talked about, you know, because there's outdoor advertising and there's a TV spot. It almost feels like when they launched Discovery, although Discovery was so important because it was literally the only thing CBS All Access had going for it. So right. they just, they, that was a huge push, but it's a pretty big push. It shows that Paramount Plus is still very much invested in the Star Trek franchise and in the show. I think there's a lot of enthusiasm for this well, show. Also with a show like this, you don't that anyone can walk into it. This is is another this is a fresh entry point for people, Absolutely. which they had hoped um, Discovery would be that. And I think just tonally, 
This is obviously completely different from that. And so this is for all the people who it's for the people who love the new shows and it's for the people who haven't been happy with the new shows. And I think they're really hoping to grab everybody with it. You know, we're in peak streaming and all of these highly serialized shows. And I think there's an appetite for something that isn't super serialized as well. No, I agree completely. And they know that it's easier for people to get in because if they miss an episode, it doesn't matter. Now, I know that there's a lot of international fans out there going, but what about me? And you're right. What about you? Okay, so the Canadians are always fine. It's always on CTV Sci-Fi and Crave, so they're covered. It's going to be on Paramount Plus in the Nordic countries and in Australia and in Latin America. Strange new worlds. But we're still waiting on news. Paramount Plus is supposed to launch this summer. I've been trying to get more info. All I can get is it's coming this summer to the UK and then throughout the rest of the year it'll be rolled out through Europe and in South Korea I did get a little bit of extra news regarding New Zealand so Strange New Worlds is going to be launching on TVNZ in New Zealand day and date so it will be on the 5th and in India it'll be on the Voot V-O-O-T, select channel, Voot. So there you go. For people in India and New Zealand, you get it too. All of whom are listening to our podcast. I'm sure the thousands, <laughs> thousands of Indians out there. Wanting to know what we think. Exactly. <laughs> and as soon as we have more information about the rest of the UK and the rest of Europe and the rest of the world, we'll be doing updates on that. Yeah. There's some other little quickies for news bites before we get to Picard. The announcement for the Lower Decks Season 2 came out this week. It's coming on July 12th on Blu-ray and DVD, two-disc set. Uh, there's going to be you know the usual special features. There's a good amount of audio commentaries this time. I think more than last time, so that's good. There's an article on the site. That should with- be fun. Audio commentaries for Lower Decks is always a good time. (laughs) My last panel report from Mission Chicago is up, and it's for the Star Trek Enterprise, Connor Tenier, Dominic Keating, and Anthony Montgomery. No real breaking news, but they have some fun talking about the theme song. They actually like it, except for the season three version. They talk about how there was so much excitement at the beginning and they were going to run for seven seasons and they were told you're going to get seven seasons and you're going to do movies and it's going to be the best thing. And then, you know, before season one ended, they were wondering every week whether they were going to get fired, you know? Right. So so like, are we getting fired? Is the show getting canceled? Yeah. All that promise dried up really quickly. That's a tough one. And also like with exhausted executives in front of it. He yeah. didn't get a break. So there are a lot of things working against those guys. But they were very amped about how, you know, season five would have and six and seven would have been great. They said that <laughs> we would have crushed it. They were very positive about season four. So it's always a fun if you ever get a chance to see one of these panels at a convention. It's always great. And I, I've noticed whenever we run an article about something like this, it gets a huge response. I mean, I know there's a lot of Enterprise fans out there. Next month will be the 20th anniversary of the season one finale. And I like Enterprise. I don't love Enterprise, but there's a lot to like about the show and we should probably cover it more often. Well, there's definitely a very loyal fan base. There are people who love it and they feel like, you know, the way the Deep Space Nine fans all used to feel like nobody really appreciated that show and really Enterprise is is the Deep Space Nine now. We need to see more Enterprise Easter eggs and callbacks on all of the shows including lower decks i think mike mcmahon who loves a good easter egg should give enterprise a bit more love yeah i mean he's really mostly a tng guy but (laughs) he weaves in the others there's one other thing on the site i wanted to mention which is that we do have um, a travel log from star trek the cruise so none of us um were on it but aaron bossig friend of trek movie um, was there and he just he if you've ever wondered what it was like going on one of these cruises what is the experience like I feel like this piece captures it perfectly if you think that the cruise is just like it's just a cruise ship that happens to have some 
Star Trek panel discussions happening in the ballroom. It's not that at all. The, the, the ship just gets turned into a Star Trek experience and there's, they really take advantage of the fact that it's a cruise and it's much, there's these little events you do. You could have yoga with Mary Chifo and, you know, it just, it's, it's a whole, it's not what you think it is. It's like whiskey tasting, like all these different things with all the different Star Trek celebrities who have other hobbies and other projects and they kind of bring you into those. It's much more personal. You can talk to people. Um, it's not standing in line for things all the time. So it's just a very, very different immersive experience, it seems like. And more casual. I'm thinking about next year. We'll see if they really do. I don't know. It's leaving from my hometown, so all right. Well, we'll we'll see what happens when the next cruise rolls around. Are you ready to start talking about Star Trek Picard? Yes, let's play a little hide and seek with episode <laughs> 209, the penultimate. Yes, I love saying penultimate. The show hit a low point a few episodes and it back and it's getting better every week. We're still in, you know, well, actually, we're not in L.A. this week, but we're still in 2024. But I thought it was a lot of action. Everyone's together. There's kind of one thing to do, which is stop the queen from stealing the ship. And everyone's kind of focused on that. And so, you know, I thought I think it was a good episode, not definitely not a great episode. There's some weird stuff that happened for sure. But I liked it. I definitely preferred it over previous weeks. And there was a couple of big, big things that happened in this episode, which we'll get into later. But basically, the Picard arc is now essentially complete, I think. And the Agnes arc is complete. So we've kind of fulfilled a couple of big major things. Complete is the wrong word, but like we've we've gone we've gone past the mystery and now we kind of know what's happening with both of them entirely i think yeah i wouldn't say entirely with agnes and the board queen definitely with picard we've solved our you know what's his memory that he didn't want to remember so we know what that is yeah and then we're definitely seeing the direction of of where it looks like agnes and the board queen are headed i mean i agree with you so i thought overall it was Definitely better than the last bunch of episodes. It moved more quickly. We're seeing, I wasn't watching it thinking, why are they showing me this instead of something else? So that's good. And I liked the way that all of the characters have important things to do that contribute to the whole and didn't feel like what they were written to give somebody something to do, but were all important. And we got, you know, last week we were saying we really wanted those scenes with Agnes and the Queen kind of bantery bickering or bickery bantering and we got that right so that was nice i'm not sure you know there's definitely some views of the borg that i have to think about for a while that i'm not sure of um but overall it was nice to i felt like we were we we're sort of kicking back into gear and we even got some good elnor i thought there was some good acting on evan's part and he was playing to his strengths as a character, the virtual Elnor. Well, I have two questions about virtual Elnor. I don't want to go into something nitpicky right away, but I have two big Elnor questions. Go ahead. So one, if he's a hologram, why is he running away from bullets? Well, here's, okay, so here's my um, <laughs> headcanon on that, is that most fans probably noticed he was wearing a mobile emitter, and I, because I think the idea was he was going to get off the ship to get away from the Queen, and you know, the only way you can do that is through the mobile emitter. And so the mobile emitter is definitely vulnerable to bullets. So, but yeah, otherwise he did seem to be hiding from bullets and stuff like that. Yeah. Or when they're fighting with the sword again, like it's the mobile emitter is the problem, but if you slice him with the sword, nothing's going to happen. So that was my first Elnor issue. And then, so the explanation was that a sh the ship can make a hologram from anyone on board, right? Mm -hmm. Is that what they said? Which, first of all, seems like, well, that's, wow, that's a pretty smart ship, but okay. Because it's always been a big deal. I understand some time has passed, but it's always been a big deal to make a hologram and difficult to make a very complex one. But the idea that it was reading his mind as he died made no sense to me. Because yeah. he said, I, I know his dying thoughts. And I'm like, I that that part doesn't click for me. No. The rest of it, I loved the idea. A combat hologram is a great idea. And I can't believe we didn't see it sooner. Yeah, that made sense. And it was clever that Agnes hid the key 
inside and, you know, when she revealed herself and then brought him out, I thought that was a great moment. Right. I mean, at first I was thinking, why would you say where it's hidden? And then I'm like, well, the queen can find that out anyway, so it doesn't matter. Rafi's had, so she kind of gets to fulfill her arc in this season kind of too here where he absolves her of her guilt. So I get why they wanted to do it, but they essentially had to create new sci-fi magic, which I'm not buying. Same. The, yep. I wish they figured out another way, like, you know, that. He'd left a journal entry behind. Right. <laughs> yeah. That's what I was thinking. Something like that. Like that there was some record of him saying how he loved and cared and, you know, she shouldn't feel guilty, whatever. Cause that was all that they were really trying to go for there, you know, but I did like how she kind of said, I know you're not real, but I'm going to vent anyway and apologize to the fake you because I never got the chance with the real you. Yep. Now this kind of makes me feel like since they went to all this trouble, that he's dead. That he's not. He's going to stay dead. Because why do all of this, and then bring him back next week where she could do it all again and say, "Oh, by the way, I apologize to the fake you, but now that you're here, um, so." And then he could say that wasn't my dying thought. My dying thought was it's all Rafi's fault. <laughs> exactly. So, but let's zoom back out and then zoom back into right. the guard. Back into right. the guard. The big thing, you know, the whole point of this season if anything, was to explore Picard's heart and why Picard is the way he is. This season was saying, let's look at another aspect of Picard. If season one was about um, his regrets over his past with Data and the Romulans, this is regret, maybe not the right thing, but why doesn't Picard have a family, which is an interesting thing to explore. And they came up with this idea that it's because he has he's stuck in his own past and he's not capable of making those kinds of connections. And it's because of his mom. And this was the his epiphany episode of finally coming to grips with that. I'm a little so I'm a little unclear, though, on did he not remember the full tragic story? until this moment that is what i assumed because part of what when she says to him you know when you remember me remember the light like in a way she almost told him forget whatever you see that's going to be dark and terrible and only remember me as this you know beautiful creative inventive person but if you asked jean Luc picard if if, I know, if, I know. if 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 Riker said, "Hey, you know, whatever happened to your mother?" You know, while they were on the Enterprise, Picard would have known. He would have known because it would have. I mean, even if they lived in the kind of family where people don't talk about things, things truth comes out. People know. Well, yeah, he might not have told uh, Riker, but the point is, he would have known his mother was dead of suicide. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, I mean, I struggled with the same thing and I tried to roll with it a little bit with the idea that she planted this idea in his mind that he should forget it. But that kid was old enough to remember it. Well, I mean, certainly the episode family you know, gave us the notion that it wasn't the best childhood. And, uh, you know, the well, it also gave us a big brother who is extremely absent. Right. But let's assume the apple doesn't fall far from the tree when it comes from dad to Robert. And for whatever reason, Robert during this period is at boarding school. But Maurice Picard, I mean, yes, he did. He saved his son. But the question is, why didn't he ever get his mother the help she needs in the 23rd century, 24th century? Her issue could have been helped and he never did. And so or she never wanted it. And which is kind of the biggest tragedy here. I mean, that is a tragedy. It's to me, the sort of bigger, if I pull back even further, is that all of this is very important to Picard. But I'm hoping that's not the whole reason that like Elnor had to die and and Rafi and Seven had to be beaten up and everybody had to suffer like this. So I feel like there has to be more because they didn't. Why did they all have to suffer? Why does Elnor have to die? Because Picard blocked a memory of his mother. That leans towards that everything's going to get reset and Elnor will right. come back, even though thematically they wasted 
this guilt moment in this episode. They should have done that when he comes back for real. But yeah, I, I, I think this is everything. I think this is all we're going to get, which is this. Everything's been about this. Q sent them back in time and put them through well, all of this. Q hell. didn't send them back in time. Don't forget. Q didn't know well, they were going to go back in time. Well, I'm still fuzzy this on is, that. Q right, went well, back. Q, we know Q went back in time and changed time so that Picard will explore his past. Whether or not Picard chose to go back in time or not, Q believed that doing this, changing the entire universe by changing one of his ancestors was going to get Picard to remember his mom killed herself and realize that this has been holding him back from creating lasting relationships so that now he can finally admit that he loves Laris. And like, that's it. That's all there is to this. Right. Which Uh, is a big leap to changing the entire history of earth. (laughs) So we, I mean, there's one episode left to see why these things are tied together. See, that's that. I don't think they're. That, I don't think it's going to happen. I don't think it's any better than this. Right. I think Soong is now still on. He now still wants to make that future happen. I mean, we haven't talked much about Brent Spiner in this, but he basically. I felt like his dialogue in this episode. If you've taught an AI how to be a villain. A cliched villain. All his dialogue was written by that. There was machine. a little mustache twirling going on. Is oh, it what was you're trying to say. <laughs> <laughs> Look, I'm surprised he didn't tie him and Laris up on some train tracks. I mean, it was, <laughs> and then announce what his nefarious plan was. <laughs> yes. <laughs> I mean, there was the only there was one exchange that he had with Picard that I loved, and it was just two lines where he says. Uh, Sung says, I know a future worth fighting for. And Picard says, with all the meaning Patrick Stewart can give it, so do I. Yeah. And that I thought was a great moment and such a loaded response and so well delivered. But yeah, otherwise the Sung moments were just kind of, yeah. (laughs) Well, and remember last week, you're like, why is she need Sung you know, I mean, I, I know why they did it because they want Brent Spiner. But yeah, it's like, why bring some random industrialist along? Right. Billionaire to hunt down someone. You know, you'd probably want someone who's a, a professional at. Which she had. They had a whole bunch of soldiers there. Although, yeah, I mean, none of them said anything. None of them did anything. They seem not very good at being drones. You know, I, I think what they were saying is her version of assimilation wasn't very good. None of them could assimilate anyone else, or at least none of them tried. They just shined their laser pointer rifles at people. Their Borgy green laser rifles that basically served only to tell us before they took a shot. So they were actually quite helpful to our team for avoiding <laughs> them. <laughs> yes, they were very bright. The green lasers. They're very bright and they basically announced, I'm coming in to shoot you now, so you might want to run away. (laughs) Although they did shoot poor Rios. Yes, just to kind of, like, I thought the whole reason that they brought, because you were like, why did they bring Teresa and the kid to the ship two episodes ago? And I was thinking, maybe that was because they knew this was going to happen, so they needed the kid and her to be in jeopardy, but they immediately yanked them out. So bringing them over to the ship and serving them cake is still as pointless as it ever was. Well, except I really did like what they did where they send him out because he's wounded and he has to save them. Yeah. And then Picard says, don't turn it back on. He says, shut it off because he knows Rios is going to try and come back. And it was the first time we saw Rios back remembering what his job is and what his duty is because he realizes I've got to go back and he insists on first thing he tries to do is go back and then he persists that's true and he says this is not my timeline because Teresa's now laying it on thick she's now the lovesick puppy she's saying maybe Maybe this was your future all along she says maybe this was always meant to be your future right which is the thing I was talking about last week of that we are now in a predestination thing right. where he, he was always meant to stay behind and she, you know i don't know if she's you know a time travel expert but 
that's kind of what she's implying that right. this is Although, your destiny staying here in LA with me and my kid. And well, now I'm worried that she's going to die and that he's just going to be in charge of the kid, either staying in the past or going to the future. And if he stays in the past, then the kid will become an astronaut. But I think for sure Rios is staying. I mean, right. well, I'm not, I mean, I'm not a hundred percent, but I'm like, I, I thought so until this episode, maybe because there were two things, one, like his insistence on going back no matter what. And two, the way he turned around and looked at the ship at the end, he sort of stopped to turn around and look at it when the Borg Queen took off in it. So I feel like he's, this episode was the first time we've seen a little bit of Captain Rios again. Except that now, you know, no offense to him, but he's even more useless because they don't have a La Serena anymore. I mean, one of the things that he's most useful for is piloting La Serena. Right. We don't know how they're going to get back to the future, but it's not going to need him. Well, he'll, he has other skills besides being very handsome. <laughs> but I do feel like he he was back aboard and helping. I mean, again, I have to say, how did he know to to beam to the atrium where they were? <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> well, I assume that he beamed to proximity to talons oh yeah that's good she has the same thing gary seven had right so it's probably just that right so to wherever she is all right i like that thank you her servo i'm sorry um, um and his timing was excellent yeah it was perfect timing for sure i want to get some, back to something that seven the seven and rafi story they had some nice resolution so as they were running through the house killing borg um they had some good banter and there was some some stuff going on where Seven was issuing orders and Rafi starts talking to her about how she should have been a captain. I loved this conversation. And 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 then we got into why she didn't join Starfleet and which made yeah, you know, everyone's like, why didn't she? And so we finally got the story of she tried and Starfleet rejected her, which So right. So they the part I liked was Janeway threatened to resign. So right. I like, cause I wanted to hear that Janeway stood up for her, but the part that didn't make sense to me was that Starfleet would say no, cause Starfleet should be welcoming the opportunity. Like what a resource you have is someone who knows all about the Borg. What I took from this is not only that I think Rafi and seven have kind of resolved their issues and they're now together again, kind of, although we really haven't seen them do anything romantic, you know, but they seem to be, supporting each other and loving each other. And, but Rafi talked to, to seven about how she would make a great captain. And she mentioned it twice. And I think this is foreshadowing. I think in season three, seven is in Starfleet and she is the captain of the stargazer. Cause Rio stays behind. That's my yeah, prediction. I think so too. I think that's a good prediction. It was interesting. Cause Rafi talked about how seven's been running from being a Borg, which is funny. Cause you know, in seven on Voyager, she was running from being human. Like she spent a lot of her time on Voyager. It took her a long time to slowly start to accept more of her human side. And she kept calling herself a Borg and separating herself from the crew. And I like this has been an exploration of because she was deborgified. She got to see what that was like and she really liked it. And now she's all borged up again. Right. <laughs> so, so another resolution here. So Seven's arc this season has been to coming to grips with her Borgness and whether she actually prefers to not be Borg. And what Rafi said it out loud. I mean, about combining the two and how, and how much she can be. And Agnes said it too, talked about seven being the best of both worlds. Yeah. Oh, oh. <laughs> but that was, you know, they both talked about how she's reconciling who she is. I loved and didn't love how that resolved itself where she was injured. That was a pretty serious injury. Right. To just get like, and then all of a sudden, I, that, again, didn't feel sciencey to me. We can assume that nanoprobes can heal and, you know, these are different nanoprobes, perhaps. Yeah. And that it would kind of reborgify her. And I'm kind of okay with that. But yep. the, fact, the fact that it reborgified her exactly like she looked like on Voyager, like, why did this queen's Borg nanoprobes recreate what the doctor, because they were starting from scratch. It's not like there was pathways they were filling in. 
Right. Like, you know, right. where they were going, oh, I'm going to recreate this thing on your head. There was nothing there. She was 100% human. So why did, because all of that work was essentially the work of the doctor, basically right. stripping down to Ev- everything the, that he could. Whereas these Borgs were starting, these nanoprobes were starting from scratch and they were adding things to her. Why just, I mean, it just kind of, it, I get why they did it, but it's almost like, were they being too, why not have some fun with it? Why not reborgify her in a new way? Yeah. Do the why, other side of her face, do something. Yeah. Right. Just, <laughs> just move it to the, yeah. The other eye and like, Oh, it's a new look for you. Or like I a mean, chin thing. No, I agree with you that it would have, it would have had more impact if they'd done something a little bit different. Yeah, she's got the exact thing, same thing on her hand, but only what? Why does she need it on her hand? Her stomach was injured. You know? I know the stomach. <laughs> she had a hole in her stomach. But there's another Raffian Seven moment that I liked very much, which is that whole "we're not getting out of this," where they look at each other and just realize they're not getting. Even they do get out of it, at least of that. But it was such a good. That was the moment I think the most, the biggest moment showing that they are back on the same team. But they should have kissed or something, don't you? Think? I know I was I wanted them to kiss. It felt like they should have kissed. At, at least a moment. little peck. Like we're going yeah. in, we're gonna die. Like a tender, know. a little tender kiss. And then yep, I agree. Yeah. It was missing. I felt its absence. So let's talk about the queen, queen. the yes. elephant's queen in the room. <laughs> the resolution to I mean I, I, I did like how the queen you know, was evil as she should be, but she was, you know, she was trying to stab people or turn on the ships and, and, and Agnes was fighting her back because she was using the neural soup to take control again. I thought that was all great. And Agnes's emotional stuff's talking about, she was talking about how it felt to be holding her friend's throat and the queen talks about being strung up. So I thought that was a good, a good discussion also. And there was some very clever editing and because you had the scene where it's agnes queen in full queen outfit because she assimilated the dead queen's outfit i don't know why she needed to assimilate it like but i guess there was something on the corpse she needed and we see her walking up to the console agnes queen tried to use the console then she couldn't then we see normal agnes then we see Worshing queen and and mm-hmm. and, but the, and but the way it was all edited together because it kind of doesn't make sense when you write it down, but it made sense the way they shot it and edited it, and it all worked I thought very seamlessly to show us the struggle between the two of them and who was in control of the body at the at whatever time it was I thought was very clever and well done I agree so the resolution to this story though is curious so what what the, what it seems to be saying is the borg are doomed to eventually fail and the queen knows it right no matter what they will eventually fail eventually the federation's going to get you eventually one borg slayer which i guess they're kind of implying the confederation timeline there uh which is picard because he wanted to be called borg slayer right mm-hmm you know, or Janeway's going to get you, someone's going to get you, but they're going to take you down eventually in whatever timeline you're on and you know it. And all you're talking about perfection is BS. You're just lonely. Yeah, that part I wasn't, I didn't get the you're just lonely part. It seemed a little extreme, but suggesting it was a very Star Trek-y um, solution, which is to say, let's change the game and let's change what you are trying to do very much and go off in an entirely new direction, almost like the motion picture and feature, right? Yes. I mean, it did feel a little easy, you know, like the actually convincing her to do it didn't take a whole lot, but I can sort of headcanon that, that the two of them have been spending a lot of time in each other's brains. So we're assuming that, that the Gerardi queen is the queen from episode one. Yes. So she goes off and creates a happy, wonderful Borg collective that doesn't assimilate. It asks before. So there's no more resistance. It's futile. It's like, hey, how you doing? You want to be a Borg? 
Do you want to be a Borg? Like, do they have recruitment posters? Do they run commercials? How does this work? We want to know. Because once you're a Borg, do you have individuality? It's the sense I got is yes, you would. Yes, that was definitely the, a point that Agnes made, which is that it's a strength and not a weakness. Right. So what does it mean to be a Borg in this collective? Are they a collective in the way like some hippie commune collective or are they or because I'm thinking back to that. Remember the there was a Voyager episode where Seven's old group tried to form a kind of friendly collective. Yes. And there was also one with Chakotay landing on a planet of some Borgs who had their own. I just like saying Borgs who had their own their own little collective separate from the big one they had a sense of individuality so that might be interesting to explore i don't you know i don't i, I doubt we're going to get enough time in the next episode no, <laughs> i don't think we have time for that <laughs> but, but it is it is a, a compelling concept but if we're assuming the rules of time travel is they're not going to do that within the prime timeline right because we know the prime timeline doesn't have happy nice board collective in it unless right. unless well, and if it does, then that's Seven's arc changes pretty radically. Yeah, and the only possible answer is that they go somewhere we didn't know before, which means, and there's only four quadrants, right? So where exactly are they going? Are Because if they go to the Delta Quadrant, then they make a different Borg Collective. So that means they're going to create a different timeline, another universe, if you will. Because at the beginning, if you remember... The ship was coming through, I think it was a dimensional portal, possibly. So they were coming from another universe, that Borg Queen. Right. But it's not the Confederation universe either. It's yet another universe. I mean, it's a multiverse, so there's plenty of universes. Sure. Now, why she didn't take the helmet off at the beginning of the episode, say, hey, it's me. I know. Like, hello. That would have solved, a, that would have, you know, stopped all this nonsense. And also, why did she give a big mystery clue at the end? Well, that there is only one reason, and that is, well, that she's a big fan of the new Batman movie, which has the Riddler, and she likes riddles. <laughs> That's good headcanon, Tony. <laughs> we know the reason, and it's the same reason she has a helmet on in the beginning. It's to create mysteries. It's to, you know, and, and this is toying with the audience you know because this gets to my villain cliches no one talks in riddles except of course the riddler but people don't do that right i mean unless there's some like grand reason why knowing what happens with renee you know that they she needed to be obtuse for some important reason the only real reason is to keep us in the dark Right. And I jotted down as I watched that part. It's not interesting to follow a story you don't understand. Yeah, that was just dumb. I did not like that at all. Yeah, I didn't like it either. I'm like, just just tell them what to do. They still have to do it. It'll still be fun to watch them do it if we know why they're doing what they're doing. And I feel like that all along is, is the vital piece that they don't realize that they think mystery work somebody thinks mystery is more compelling than watching people overcome challenges that we know they need to overcome one other just sort of small detail in the whole thing that had to do with the borg soldiers they basically just beamed them into the brick yes which was you know a little like they're very callous about all the people that they're killing and seven is like they're just they're borg and i'm thinking well hey lady I got few, some news for you. <laughs> a few, you know, a couple days ago, they weren't. Like you. Right. So they really have to hope that all this stuff is going to be undone because they have killed a lot of, like, starting with the first one that Agnes killed. But they've killed a lot of people and all those people could have had children and grandchildren and. Oh, all, yeah. The, butterf- the know, butterfly effect is. is is Forget it. Yeah. The butterfly is dead. They have rolled over a lot of butterflies. Yes. I do feel like there's a big reset button in our future. Do you find it curious that Talon doesn't really talk about Renee? I mean, because Talon, when we met her, is is basically a stalker, right? She, all she cares about is Renee. 
Has she just decided that these I'm going to hang out with these guys because they're our Renee's best hope? Yes, obviously. Now she's she seems to only care about Picard and his trauma. Like in the middle of running away, she's stopping him to ask for his memories and why is this important? She was the only one saying, why does Q care about this for you? I mean, she is one of those female characters who is revolving completely around somebody else's story. Yeah. By the way, within the Picard story, they did do what they could to fit this into canon. Because there is a canon problem with Picard's mother dying because Picard saw a vision of an old woman as his mother, Yvette, in... I forget what episode of Next Generation. Do you remember that? Yes. It was, it was, it was one of the ones where there, everybody was hallucinating. Right. And she's in the middle of a corridor serving him tea. And so it was a little on the nose, but he's like, I used to remember her. I used to imagine her. Yes. Imagine seeing her older offering me a cup of tea. So it's like, okay, well, so- someone obviously in the writer's room was like, wait a minute. Wait a minute. There was that one episode. And they're like, okay. Well, let's just put in a line that he uh, made that up. And the brothers at boarding school. But yes. <laughs> no, I thought that worked. That was a nice little throwback. Uh, at least they put it in there. Because otherwise people would have lost their minds. Not that people aren't going to lose their minds. Because again, would here's the question is, would a tragic childhood, from what we know of John Luke Picard, really have impacted him? Does it explain that? You know, was this whole thing worth it? I guess. Was this aspect of his character worth exploring? And does this make sense from what we know of the character that his mother killing herself and giving him this tragic backstory? Was this a journey worth taking? I'm not sure about that yet. Yeah. I mean, the bigger issue for me, as I said, was is how it connects to all the things that everybody had to go through that the, the changing the whole history of everything of the universe of the galaxy um, just to get to this seems rather extreme, but I, there could be an, an interesting exploration of how, you know, he was as a child in love with her, like he loved and revered her. And so you could make a case for someone who feels tremendous guilt that their resp- that his love for her is what killed her because it was his love for her that got him to open the door. Yeah. so that he some part of him said don't love someone that much because you'll hurt them so i could buy that psychological connection no um but also you know counselor troy was there to help him through stuff and he certainly had a lot of deep friendships and he had lovers and he had relationships so um yeah (laughs) where does that leave us i'm not sure um, I think that sort of leaves us at the end of this episode. I'm not sure there's anything more to say about it. No, I think we've covered all of my big points. Good. So we've got one more episode to go. Let's hope they land the plane. You know, the wings are wobbling. The landing gear's out. <laughs> <laughs> we'll see what happens next week. We will indeed. All right. So let's wrap things up with our bits of the week. What have you got, Tony? Mine comes from the the good people at Unreal Engine, uh, which you gamers out there will know is a, a gaming technology, but it's actually now playing a big, important part in Star Trek Discovery and Star Trek Strange New Worlds. And they released a great case study about how Unreal Engine, which is the technology they use for the virtual set that they're using on Discovery and Strange New Worlds. And there's a great article about how they've essentially created a holodeck for Star Trek Discovery, and it has all these great pictures, and there's a video, and it shows how they did, all they did for season four of Discovery, and how they are also doing it for Strange New Worlds. There's such a poetry to the idea that we learned about holodecks on Star Trek, and now they're using a holodeck to make Star Trek. I mean, it's it's groundbreaking technology. I think from what we've seen of Strange New Worlds, they got better at it over season four, and I think Strange New Worlds are getting even better at it. Um, and it's more important to them, to be perfectly honest, because of mm-hmm. the nature of the show and having to do all these different environments. So it's it's... You know, it it came at just the right time 
and it's really having a big impact on on these shows. And they're doing a great job with it, I have to say. It's impressive. So what's your bit of the week? So mine is going way, way back to original series, but I thought I'd seen pretty much all the outtakes, and this is one I had never seen before, which is it's actually from... Uh, who mourns for Adonais and it's when Uhura's fixing, she's uh, under with fixing the communications panel or something. And Michelle Nichols just starts singing, let's do it, let's fall in love as a love song to Spock. <laughs> and I've never seen it before. It's a short little clip um, and it will make your heart sing. It's really oh. funny and beautiful. That's so sweet. Yeah, it's, I, I can't believe I haven't seen it until this week. Someone put it on Twitter. In the back of my mind, I feel like I've seen that, but like decades ago or something. It was not because I can't remember where or when I saw it, but it is very, very cute. Yeah, it makes me think that, you know what? They probably had a little fun on that set too, even if they like to pretend that they didn't. (laughs) (laughs) And maybe Nichelle Nichols had a little thing for Leonard Nimoy, maybe? How could you not? Of course. (laughs) (laughs) so i mean everyone loved him he was really good to everybody i think that's it for the week see us back next friday for a double-barreled episode with the season finale of star trek picard and the series premiere of strange new worlds exciting stuff and also please come to the site we have links to everything that we've talked about and we are very interested in your comments on the podcast or any aspect of the show that we've been talking about goodbye bye